All right, good morning, everybody. What a, what a wonderful day. Are you guys excited for summer? I'm so ready for summer to be here. First of all, I want to say thank you, Pastor Steve, for the opportunity to uh, share God's Word today. It's always a great honor and a great opportunity to share the Word of God and what He's doing in our lives. And today, I, what I usually do, what usually ends up happening is when I preach a message, it's usually about something that I'm going through or something that the Lord's convicting my heart on and something I'm striving for. And so that's kind of usually how I come up with my topics and what I preach on is usually God's like, this is what you're, go- what you're going through. This is what you- I want you to preach on. So this is what I've been feeling convicted in my own life personally. And so I'm going to be talking today about the disciplined life. All right, so uh, I'm going to start off by defining what discipline means in the dictionary, okay? So the Oxford Dictionary says, uh, as a noun, discipline is the practice of training someone to obey rules or a code of behavior. And as a verb, it is to train oneself or others to do something in a controlled and habitual way. So in both of those definitions, we see that the core, at the core of discipline is ultimately training, And so for the message today, I want you guys to think of training, because how many of you, when you hear the word discipline, you tend to think of things like punishment or judgment or consequences of one's actions. Uh, Maybe you think of a reprimand or write-up at the workplace or or uh, disciplinary action that needs to take place. That's usually where my mind goes when I think of discipline. While these are all part of the concept of discipline for us in our lives, that is not the ultimate focus. The main priority of discipline is training. And that is the goal, the reason, the heart behind discipline. True discipline is always restorative. It always seeks to build, even if it must tear down what is existing at first. It is always meant to build up and to make better. Discipline is the bridge between goals and accomplishment. I heard that quote, I'm not sure who quoted that, but I heard it one time and it just really stuck with me about discipline. It's the bridge between goals and accomplishment. And many of the dreams and the visions and the things that we have in our lives that we want to do and we want to accomplish, we will get there through the avenue of discipline and training. The way that I'm learning this and it's really sinking in more because we understand concepts and we hear messages and we, and we understand concepts as people in one way, but then our life situation changes and then it brings a whole new level of understanding to the concept, right? So what I'm talking about is parenting. So I would hear all the time about discipline before I, was, before I had kids of my own. And it was like, oh yeah, discipline, it's this and it's this. And then you have children and you're like, oh wow, I can really get on a grasp of how God is with discipline now that I have children of my own. Because with every various form of discipline that my wife Shine and I administer to our children, We do so hoping for the best for them. No good parent disciplines their kid just to discipline them and see them be miserable or to see them go through a hard time just because. That that is psychotic, right? We want our kids to succeed. We want them to be blessed. Uh, We have the goal to set them up for success and enable them to be the most fulfilling and live the most fulfilling life that they can for the Lord. And that requires extensive training and discipline. No one wakes up one morning, at least I don't, and I don't hear of anybody that has. No one wakes up one morning and realizes that they've been accidentally staying in shape. They're like, man, I've been eating whatever I want, and I'm just in shape, and I feel great, and my my resting heartbeat is 50 beats per minute, and I'm I'm just doing great. I'm on a healthy diet. You know, I'm eating only good stuff that's good for me. I'm staying away from bad junk food all the time. My house is just always immaculately clean. I don't know how that happened. I'm financially responsible with my money. I, you know, I spend it on responsible things. And no one wakes up and just all that stuff is just set up for them, right? That stuff takes, what, intentionality, 
right? right? We have to work at that stuff. We have to be very intentional and, and uh, purposeful in how we live if we want those things. Those things all require work, hard work, discipline, training. And if anything, the opposite of all of those things is what takes no effort at all. How many people do you know that, that talk about, they're like, yeah, I, I don't know what happened. I woke up one day and I, I, was, and I looked in the mirror and I'm like, man, I need to work out. I need to lose weight. I'm 50 pounds overweight. <laughs> or like, I mean, I mean man, I'm, I'm you know, in debt and I'm spending my money on all these wrong things. And it just started with little purchases and it turned into big purchases. That's more of what we hear happens by accident is we fall into things and bad habits. And discipline and training keeps us from those things. And that's why, we, that's why we discipline our children, and that's why the Lord disciplines us as his children. Today I have several statements on discipline. The key passage today that's really been on my heart is Hebrews chapter 12. And I'm going to read it in, in three segments. It's verses 1 through 12. And preceding this chapter was Hebrews 11, which many of us know as the Hall of Faith, the faith chapter of all these heroes of the faith throughout the Bible that did amazing things and God used them in powerful ways. We start off in verse 1 here. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. So my first point on discipline today is that discipline is modeled to us by Jesus. And I want you guys to remember, with the phrasing and the, and the understanding of discipline being training, apply this to what my point here. Some of us might think Jesus didn't need discipline. Jesus absolutely did need discipline and training. Even his closest followers, come on, were called the disciples, and which is, you know, comes from the same word discipline. Jesus needed discipline and training, and it doesn't mean that he needed to be punished for disobedience or anything like that because he was perfect. He never sinned. But that doesn't mean he didn't need training and discipline. He disciplined and trained himself to hear the voice of God in his life. We see examples of this in the Gospels. Why did Jesus go into the wilderness for 40 days to fast and pray if he didn't need training? You know, why would he go off to a quiet place, as was his usual custom, to go into a solitude with God the Father and pray if he didn't need training and discipline on hearing God's voice, being able to do what God called him to do? Why would he have gotten baptized by John the Baptist, being obedient to the voice of the Father, you know, without discipline and training. Everything that Jesus said and did during his life on earth, he did as an example for his followers, for us to copy and to emulate. He was disciplined and trained to operate in the will of the Father. John chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He, do he only does what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. That level of closeness to God doesn't just happen. You have to spend lots of time with God in prayer, in fasting. It's hard work. It takes training and discipline. Jesus had to put in the time and the work and the effort to draw close to the Father and hear his voice. And one of the things that kind of reminded me of this was it is actually in another chapter in Hebrews where it says that we have somebody that can relate to all of 
what we go through in life. It says in, in Hebrews that everything that we've gone through, Jesus can relate to us on every level as our high priest that can represent us. And he's gone through everything we've gone through, yet he did not sin. And so Jesus went through this training and discipline process in his life. And he succeeded and he, did, he accomplished everything that he was sent on earth to do. And so he successfully trained to be able to follow the will of the Father. We see many times in the gospel where Jesus went somewhere quiet to pray, to be filled back up, and that it was a regular occurrence. And this is why he was able to disregard the shame of the cross, the scorn of sinful people, and the many sorrows that he went through is because he was trained to see the finish line. He was trained to keep his eyes on the Father. And that training and discipline paid off in his life as he was able to do what God called him to do. So let's always train to keep our eyes on him. He is our perfect example for everything that life throws at us. Let's look at the next few verses here, starting in verse 4. The author says, After all, you have not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline, and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, training, Remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who is never disciplined by his father? Well, I mean, you see it today. You see a kid that needs to be disciplined and is never disciplined, and it shows, right? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? How many of us have felt like giving up when we're corrected by God? Or God uses someone in our life to come and bring correction or rebuke, and it just is discouraging, and we're like, ah, oh, I just feel... But he's saying don't give up when you are corrected or rebuked or, or when God has to discipline you, because that means that he cares enough about you to invest into you. He believes in you. He wants you to succeed. You are a legitimate child of the Father, which is, is a good place to be in. My second point on discipline is discipline is difficult. Duh, right? Discipline is difficult. But we should not seek to avoid the difficult things in our lives, but to face it head on. Our natural tendency is to avoid difficulty, confrontation, conflict. We kind of, we want to, we want to avoid it at all costs, take the path of least resistance. And there's some things that God has, has in our lives for us that he wants us to face head on and he wants us to go through it and just face it. When we deal with things we rather wouldn't and we feel the heat of God's discipline, correction, and training, we need to take joy in that and take joy in the fact that he believes in us and that he sees us as his own. I don't know how many people have seen this movie, but there's a movie that came out in 2004 called Troy. It stars uh, Brad Pitt as the main character, Achilles, and he's getting ready to go fight this battle, and there's this giant, huge mountain of a man he's getting ready to fight. This young boy is giving Achilles his, his shield, and Achilles is up on his horse, and the boy says, the Thessalonian you're fighting, he says sheepishly. He's the biggest man I've ever seen. I wouldn't want to fight him. Achilles looks down at the boy from atop his horse and valiantly says, that's why no one will remember your name. Harsh, but true. I mean, we don't know the boy's name. We know Achilles' name, but we don't know his name. But it was just, it was just one of those things where he's like, he's trying to teach. He's, he's getting that kid to see a concept here is it's the hard and difficult things in life that are the most worth doing and the most rewarding as well. Who else was it that defeated a giant that, against all possible odds again? Yeah, I can't remember that. Uh, David from David and Goliath. 
right? We remember his name, right? Um, because it, he faced a hard and difficult thing head on. He wasn't afraid of difficulty, but he, he welcomed it and he embraced it in his life because he realized that God was training him. When the bear came, right? When uh, David was watching the sheep and singing songs to God and taking care of the sheep and the bear came, that was training, right? He was training with his sling. He was training with every situation that he was given. He saw it as, a, as an opportunity. It is the longevity and the consistency of a life that has continuously and obediently said yes to the voice of God to do the difficult, the hard, and the sometimes impossible. That is what leaves a legacy and an impact in the lives around us. And most of the time, it's the things that no one else sees that produces the results that everyone wants, right? When David was out in the field taking care of sheep, nobody saw him doing that. He was not recognized. It was not a public thing. We're like, oh, he's being so faithful and diligent. He's writing songs to God. He's praying. He took down a bear with a sling. Whoa, what? Like all that stuff was done with just, it was just him. And, he, and God was training him and producing something amazing inside of David so that when he faced Goliath, people were like, wow, this person's legit. Like, they have the, like, where did this power come from? And where did this faith in God come from and this boldness and this courage? It's because he was out training. God's producing things in your life. He's training you. He's disciplining you in areas that nobody sees. And if you allow that process to happen and you're faithful and you're consistent, it will yield results that everybody else looks at and goes, I want that. I want to be a part of that. I want that that courage that they have or that faith to step out and do this great stuff that they're doing. How are they doing that? It's because you've been training and you've been under training and discipline in those areas of your life that nobody sees. God knows this. He understands this. And that is why he trains us. So that is why he disciplines. That's why he brings correction. That's why he turns up the heat in our lives because there's an end result, right? God doesn't do anything without a purpose. There's always a purpose in what God does. He doesn't, he doesn't turn up the heat on his kids just to see him squirm right? There's always a purpose. And the purpose is so that we can be the world shakers, the life changers, and the history makers that he's called us to be. Amen. That we can leave a legacy and a lasting impact in, in the lives around us and, and accomplish what God put us on this earth to do, just like Jesus. You may or may not change the entire world with your life, but you will definitely change at least one person's entire world with your life. This kind of takes the pressure off me a little bit in my life where it's like, I, you know, I just got to be faithful and obedient to God. I don't have to feel like I have to change the world, but I need to be faithful with what God tells me because if I can even change one person's life, that one person matters, that one person counts. And if I was only put on this earth to reach one person and I was faithful and obedient to reaching that one person, then I did what God told me to do. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm only going to reach one person, it may or may not, and for the same for you. But we have to see it as like, if there was one person in this world that I was supposed to reach and minister to and pray for and lead to the Lord and encourage and disciple and be an example my whole life for them, then, I would, then it was worth it. We got, we got to stop looking at the numbers game and like, how many people can I reach and how many people can I impact? Just impact anybody that you can, whenever you can. Just be faithful with what God's called you to do. I'm going to share an example of that, that concept here. Ananias' obedience to God played an important role in the conversion of a guy we called Saul. Well, eventually the Apostle Paul, right? Wrote a third of the New Testament, uh, planted churches, ministry journeys, missionary journeys. Ananias' obedience was part of the catalyst for that, for his eventual ministry, Paul's eventual ministry. In Acts chapter 9, verses 10 through 20, kind of lays out how Ananias was given a very difficult task to lay hands on and pray for a man who was vehemently 
after the church of believers, violently after the church of believers. He was, he was seeking them out. He was imprisoning them. He was breathing murderous threats against them. And Ananias was told by God, hey, you're going to go lay hands on and pray for this person. Okay, can you imagine that in today's society? Somebody's after the church and they, they're arresting people, arresting believers and getting them sentenced to death and just after them, attacking them. And God says, you're going to go and you're going to lay hands on that person and pray for them. And we're like, what? No, our natural tendency is to get as far away from that person in that situation as we can and leave them to the wrath of God. But Ananias obeyed. And it says in verse 17 that Ananias says to, to Saul, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me to you so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So first of all, he called him Brother Saul. So he's declaring over Saul that he's part of the body of Christ now. He's a brother, which I thought was really significant. Declaring Paul's entrance into the body of Christ and sharing that Ananias' obedience was for the purpose of Paul regaining his sight and being filled with the Holy Spirit, prepared to begin his work. So difficult things produce great harvests in our lives. When it comes to the Father's will, don't ever shy away from, be intimidated by, or look to avoid the difficult or the uncomfortable in your life. It could be God setting you up for something, training you for something amazing. I just thought of the word I heard on this show that uh, my wife and I watched. It was a chopportunity, a challenging opportunity. So you guys see everything in life as a chopportunity. That's, I know it's cheesy, but it, it helps me to remember everything in life. No matter what problem I face, it's just an opportunity in disguise. Discipline is difficult. Let's look at the last few verses here, verses 10 through 12. For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us. So that, there's that, so that again, the purpose we might share in his holiness no discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that, purpose there, so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. So in our lives of being disciplined, being trained, and operating in the will of God, we mark out a straight path for ourselves so that people can follow behind us. We're trailblazers. We're called to be trailblazers. And through our disciplined lives, others can follow, and we can disciple and model what it means for others. So discipline is not only good, but necessary. Discipline is not only good, but necessary. There is always a need for discipline and training in each and every one of us. If Jesus needed it, we definitely need it. Remember, discipline is training oneself or another to do something in a controlled and or habitual way. Jesus entrained himself to be everything that his heavenly father wanted and to do everything that he was sent to accomplish. If we're going to carry out God's will for our lives, we need training and we need discipline. So as I conclude with my message today, I just want to read Psalm 32 verses 8 through 9, which shows us a little about God's will for his children. The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life, I will advise you and watch over you. Do not be like a senseless horse or mule that needs a bit and bridle to keep it under control. So horses, we all know horses need to be broken with training and discipline to be ridden safely. And there's a whole process involved with that. And I don't know a whole lot about horses, but I do know that much. Um, they need to be broken and, and understand who's in control and that the, you know, their will is not really kind of their own anymore. 
This process of brokenness involves the horse becoming with, familiar with that reality. Maybe today, this, this morning, there's some of us that we've been, you've been living for your own goals and your own will, and you've been like that unbroken horse where you kind of just doing your own thing. You feel like your life's been going off the rails, or maybe things are spiraling out of control. You just can't seem to get a hold on, on your life and, and what's happening. Until, we're, until you're broken, that is, until you've accepted the reality that your life will never be what it can be and what it should be until you yield to the will of God, your life will continue to be lacking that fulfillment and purpose. But unlike the horse, our brokenness should lead us to a desire to follow God rather than being forced with a bridle, reins, or a saddle. He wants to lead us, not pull us by the reins, right? And this is a shift in, in mindset because I've, I've lived my life this way in, in different parts of my life, and I've seen a lot of Christians and a lot of people live this way where the Christianity, the life following Christ is like an obligation, and it's like, well, it's, like do, it's all about duty, and it's like, well, I need to do this. I have to do this because the Bible says that this is what we have to do. And, oh, I can't do this because that's wrong. Bummer. And that's kind of the, that's being pulled by like a, like a senseless horse or mule by the reins versus when we have true purpose and when our mind has been renewed, it becomes a, a, a heart change to where I want to do this. This is, this is the will of the Father, and so this is what I want to do. This is what I'm interested in. And when it's sin or something that instead of, oh, I can't do this, it's, I don't want to do that. It doesn't interest me. In fact, it kind of disgusts me a little bit, you know, and I, have, I want nothing to do with that. When we connect with God's heart, then instead of being pulled by the reins and ridden with a saddle, we, we just follow, and he leads us, right? Psalm 23 talks about how he leads us besides still waters, right? He restores our soul. Let's be led in our lives, and that comes with discipline and training and that process of brokenness where we come to the end of ourselves and we say, all right, God, with my life and my ambitions and my goals, it comes to nothing. It's, it's all about God. Just, I want, to, I want to throw this out there. The belief uh, in God's free gift of salvation and transformation is simple as ABC. And first of all, we admit that we've sinned and that we need a Savior. Romans 3.23 says that everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. And so there's no one perfect. Nobody's perfect. And we all need Jesus. And secondly, we believe that Jesus died to pay the price for our sins and to save us. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And then lastly, we confess that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. Romans 10.9-10 says, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you're made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. So today, let's take a moment, and I'm just going to take a moment in prayer, and let's, let's be led by the Lord. Let's, let's welcome and invite the discipline and the training and the correction that he brings in our lives and understand that it's the process that draws us closer to God. It's the process that makes us more like him. Father God, we just thank you for today, and I pray that over each and every person here, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would continue speaking to our hearts and, and leading us in, in the paths that you have for us, Lord, that we would be um, each and every day just focused on accomplishing your will, we would be sensitive to the leading of your Holy Spirit, Father, that we would know your voice as, as the sheep know the shepherd's voice, Lord, and we would run from all other voices in our lives. We just thank you for everything you're doing in our lives. And I just pray blessings over everybody here in Jesus' name. Amen.